Many of us have been attracted to Oasis because of its values. And one of its values is inclusion. God who loves every human being without exception. We're an inclusive community that reflects this in our welcome, our celebration of all people, whatever our background, social standing, gender, ability, sexuality, or ethnicity. What makes this more than just a policy that sits in a handbook? It is the demonstration of it and others' experience in it, with no restriction of opportunity and no judgment made that will limit who they can be. We're careful in our language, and rightly so, about sexuality and ethnicity. We try to be respectful of different people, of different choices, even when perhaps we don't understand them. Inclusion is a core value of OASIS, and when we are consistent in this belief, our actions will demonstrate it. Are you seeking inclusion in every aspect of your life? Do I challenge the status quo, the powerful? Do we take actions where we see exclusion? Are we even able to open our eyes, our senses, our intuition and see where inclusion is not happening? What responsibility do we individually own? Do we take a lead on the agenda of change in order to bring about inclusion? Wouldn't it be brilliant if we could truthfully say, yeah, we do all of that. Let's sing some more songs. Let's go have a cup of tea. Job's done. But it isn't. And even here in Oasis Waterloo, with our sensibilities, London-centric, city superior, wealth of cultures, knowledge, diversity programs, community action and faith, we can really do much better. Firstly, we must identify truthfully our blind spots, our weaknesses, and then we can reflect, challenge ourselves and motivate others to change. Motivate our community, our country, our world to think differently. When we are changed, it will lead to others changing. Recognise we're drawn to what we know. There is unconscious bias. We manage excuses absolutely brilliantly, and I'm a master at it. We have a close affinity to those who share something of our life experiences. The solution to these are multiple. If we seriously interrogate the idea of inclusion, act upon our faith's directives, we will proceed to be more inclusive. What's your lived experience of inclusion and gender discrimination? I was founder 25 years ago of a theatre company called Futures Theatre, and I'm the artistic director. We create new theatre that speaks from a female perspective of social injustice. We promote opportunities from women from diverse, diverse ethnic minorities and social backgrounds of all sorts, enabling participants to take part in theatre in a broad sense that have never had that opportunity. To develop women in their careers in theatre that normally don't have the financial resources or the expectations that they would participate in such a brilliant area. So for the far past seven years, we've worked with vulnerable women in Lambeth, and we run year-long programmes with our partners, which are creative programmes. For four years, we've partnered with women working in street prostitution, 
In fact, I'm in rehearsals at the moment, which are going brilliantly, so it's great, um, for a play that goes on at the end of October at Clapham Omnibus, if anyone's interested. And this work has been inspired, informed by the women working in street prostitution that we've worked with over many years. The last two years, we've worked with women that have survived gender violence and women in prison. And there'll be productions that have specifically come out of their stories that their voices will be heard. The women in prostitution live in the underworld of Brixton and Streatham, as do some of the participants from our other programmes. They live with extraordinary prejudice from members of the public, sadly often professionals as well, and their families and their local communities. This prejudice magnifies the damaging and dangerous isolation that they experience, excluded from mainstream society, and yet they service men that are mostly totally mainstream, usually married, and more often than not, are respected in their local communities. And there is research that also shows a number. Many of those men, far more than you would probably expect, are also church attendees and call themselves Christians. These women's extreme circumstances are deeply disturbing. And in the context of what I'm talking today, the link of a society that does not fully include 50% of its population, in my view, leads to this terrible abuse and exploitation. Women as a commodity to be bought and sold is demonstrated so clearly in on-street prostitution. I believe it is the lack, the outcome of the lack of inclusion at all levels of society. And where there are women represented, they are usually not in equal measure, i.e. 50-50 gender split. Gender prejudice is inherent in many aspects of our culture. This is a result of historic disproportionate male power and perspective. Another point of similarity for many of the women that we've had the privilege of working with is to share their experience of being in the so-called care system. For the very youngest of girls, our society ostracizes them through a system that isn't keeping these girls safely in care, sufficiently nurtured and developed to enable them to participate fully in our communities. Acceptable levels of sexualization are extreme. They lead to certain girls deserving what happens to them. We've heard the judicial system, social workers, the police, let alone the public, talk about girls that ask for sexual trouble, age 12 and 13. We've had a legal system that does not prosecute the buyer of on-street sex and continues to persecute women supplying the demand. A gender imbalance continues to perpetuate the general attitude that women are here to serve men as secretaries, mothers disproportionately organising their children's social life, teachers but not head teachers, counsellor but not MPs or members of the cabinet, or world leaders, organising the male partner's family birthday cards, the care of elderly parents, the household chores, where many couples are both working the same hours in well-paid work, yet at home the workload is unevenly shared. Can we now be, women can now be vicars, 
but we can only just be bishops. How do I possibly relate the minimisation of female vicars' opportunities to women living in tragic circumstances on the streets of Brixton down the road and actually every single town in the UK, in some form or other, they are addicted and sexualised and women working in prostitution, literally required to do anything that a man wants for very little financial return and sometimes none. Yet it's an extreme example of gender inequality. I experienced the spectrum of inequality as a young actress in the 70s, the late 70s, working in Arab nightclubs in the West End, dancing, waitressing in themed restaurants, fulfilling the male fantasy, from working with women in crisis in deeply abusive and violent relationships to seeing my four children, three girls and one gorgeous boy, trying to raise those children without gender expectations or limitations within a culture that permeates prejudice. In our language, every day I hear it. We understand the language of sensibilities around disability, ethnicity, sexuality, but what about gendered language? There is an important and interesting conversation that's seeking to find a language to express differences of changing and fluid gender. And I'm aware of my limitations today in talking about gender in terms of male and female, and I hope you will forgive me if I uh, offend. So why in church, where the core of Jesus' teaching is inclusion, do we consistently use exclusively male gendered language? in the place where we talk of God as all-powerful. Beyond our human experience, yet God remains male. The content of most of the Bible is about the male experience. The protagonists, the lead characters in it, are male. Women play supporting roles. They sit at the feet of. They sit at the cross of. They stand outside of the tomb. Even when the women you might imagine might play the main event, like Mary giving birth to Jesus, she becomes a paragon of virtue. She is not really a woman, as she is a virgin, the type of woman we should all be really aspiring to be. So our very sexuality has to be diminished if we are to play anything near the lead role. The Bible is the historical document, of course, a library of books written by about 40 men, apparently. And through history, men have been in the most influential positions and therefore organized the world, even without intention, with their understanding that usually means it is to their benefit. Men have been better educated and held positions of civic and religious power. When we understand the context, the social structures within which the Bible and its stories were created, at that point we can address it, if we choose. Yet the gender inequality in church continues. Even in the most liberal churches, we regurgitate, reinforce the norm and teach our generation that it is still the male story that is the most important. I'm not suggesting that we take a few books out of the Bible although that might be quite a good idea. Um, and interestingly, it has been done before, where I believe women's work has been removed from the Bible throughout history. But just as we did at Oasis, we are trying to understand the core of the Bible stories, the truth within the original language. As opposed to the translation, normally done by educated men, we need to grapple with the implementation of our faith 
and teachings of gender equality. Of course, Jesus is a male, and that's absolutely fine. He is the main story, and I have no problem with that. He is the one who taught us about inclusion. So for all of the reasons above and many more, women in leadership, both within the church and broader society, is vital. Our songs, the quotes, the references used within the talks of teachings and here, just as well as anywhere else, are nearly always male. If you sit and listen, it is a male story. When a culture is informed by its faith, such as Great Britain is, we need to be alert to this bias and we will continue to be unfair if we are not and we do not challenge it. 50% of the op population's opportunities, quality of life, financial resources and self-determination are limited because we are born female. Gender inclusion needs women to step up to leadership in all areas of our civilization in their natural skins, not as impressionists of male models of leadership, but as themselves. Currently, women in traditional paid forms of leadership can fight twice as hard to be successful, get paid less constantly, this is borne out by research, do more of the household chores, and so on it goes. For all the men here today, and it's marvelous to have you here, this does not excuse you from our challenge. You are 50% of the solution. And when there is more equality, you and your gender will benefit. You will be freed from gender expectation and the limitations that are placed on you as well. And as Christians, we will live more fully being able to experience a greater understanding of our humanity and our faith. Because Becoming closer to a God that desires us to be the best versions of ourselves and living, loving our neighbours is an amazing potential future. Be radical. First notice, see the discrimination, think, what's my part in this? What's my legacy going to be? What can I do differently now? Be leaders in any field you find yourself in that challenge, change laws, attitudes, teach children differently to stop the generational prejudice, heighten your expectations of others to make changes, be advocates, write documents, write books, seek to promote people regardless of their gender, including all of us. Every day there's an opportunity to live in this God-centered way. In Christ, there is no male or female. We have the power to include women and girls in the future as equal leaders. Amen. <laughs> So do you, there's no point me saying anything, is there? <laughs> you said that. Um, fantastic. Thank you, Caroline. Woo, amazing. Um, so uh, I just thought that I would try and um, add a little something to what Caroline has said by offering a few thoughts, a few bits from the Bible, and telling you a bit about uh, my story. Um, 
In a world full of princesses, dare to be Batman. Um, so it's a funny thing, isn't it? You're, you think about your story and how you've ended up to be the woman that you are now, and you realize that actually there's a whole story that's gone on through the whole of your life uh, where you've just been allowed to be you and the difference that it makes. But let me start uh, with... Um, something that happened 25 years ago. I was asked to speak for the first time in uh, the church that I was a part of, and this is what the pastor said to me. This is a risk for us. (laughs) And I'm like, how? How how is this a risk? Do Do you say that to everyone? Why is this a risk? What? Like literally, that's how I responded. Because hidden right in that statement was some unconscious bias, some hidden beliefs, some assumptions uh, that women can't and women don't do that. And my response is, says who? Says who? This is just going to bring this forward. A little bit. There we go. Sometimes we blind ourselves to the consequences of our own thinking because we cannot face the consequences. And I want to suggest that the person that said that to me was blind to the consequences of their own thinking. And maybe, just maybe, this unconscious bias or these beliefs are more deeply rooted and dress themselves up in different ways. So ever since I've been a kid, up until being this old age, I've always done leady type things. It's never not been a part of who I am. And there has never, ever been a box. This week, we received an email to say that we were expected to wear formal business wear to something. Seriously, I have no formal business wear. But I thought I would show willing and... I'd recently bought some shoes which had heels on, and I lasted 14 minutes. So feeling really pleased with myself, I whipped them off and put my flat boots back on. Um, It's never been you can't, it's always been you can for me. And I believe that that's true. But in time, um, I have come across many women who see themselves as people who can't or see themselves as less than those that they are amongst. And I've also discovered that there are some who use the Bible to say certain things about women. So let me mention three things, a tattoo, a boy's name, and a president. So way back the very beginning of the Bible, we get this passage, Genesis chapter 1, in the uh, image of God, they were created, male and female. You and me, both image bearers. Teshlim is the word, that's my foot, by the way, Teshlim. This was a revolutionary story that went completely against the grain of the time, It stood in opposition to the dominant narratives. It was only the king, it was only the man that was allowed to be seen as the image bearer. 
The king was the leader. And this story, our story, the very beginning says, male and female, made in God's image. We, male and female, are given the job of being the leaders of God's creation. It also reminds us that God transcends and includes these ideas of male and female. I've realized over time that often I function with a bit of a reduced view of who God is. Like God's sometimes a bit of a glorified Father Christmas with a beard. But God is female too. And in Hebrew, in uh, the tradition that we are a part of, God is often described as compassionate, longing for us to come home. What are we missing? What are we missing if we continually only view God as male? The kind of rule God has in mind is not a masculine role, but a masculine plus a feminine. This represents the image of God to the world. We are entrusted with bringing about the ways of God in the world. So, what is your image of God? What would be different if your understanding of God was inclusive of both male and female? As Caroline has said, how often do we refer to God using the feminine? See, questions are designed to push us. They push us towards what we don't know. And they make us feel uncomfortable. (laughs) But God is mother too. Have you ever seen a mother with her child? Have you ever seen that? It is divine. It is divine. God is father, but God is mother too. A boy's name. A boy's name. Isa is a word that's used in Genesis chapter 2. It's a word that's used a lot in the Old Testament, 21 times. And it's a word that is used to describe God as the intervener or rescuer. Twice this word is used in reference to Eve in the beginning of the Bible. Three times this word is used about the nations that Israel appealed to for military support. And 16 times it is used to refer to God as the helper of Israel. So you know how sometimes Genesis 2 is, female is the helper of the man? That isn't what this word means. This word does not mean that. This is not about subordination. This is not about slave. This is the God who comes to the rescue of Israel. And in Genesis 2, this word is combined with konegdo, which together means a helper of the same nature. Perfect symmetry. 
equal. Isa is a very common boy's name amongst Jewish people. Which begs the question, what shapes our views of the roles people should play? Who says that you can't because you are a woman? And who says you must do this role because you are a woman? And it wouldn't be right on a Sunday morning to not show a picture (laughs) of Justin Trudeau. This is my last point. Whenever Jesus taught or whoever he encountered, there were always two dimensions. That story that Dave read out to us. One dimension was to the powerful. The ones who owned the agenda. And it was this. A challenge to their sense of entitlement and their sense of power. And the second dimension was this. The grace and the mercy shown to the marginalized and the downtrodden. And it always finished with this. An invitation to solidarity with the marginalized and the downtrodden. Never with the powerful. Always to the marginalized and the oppressed. So 70% of the world's poor are women. 60% of chronically hungry people, according to the UN, are women. When income is put into the hands of women, child nutrition, health and education improves. When you put it into the hands of men, it's more likely to be frittered away on drugs, alcohol, and dare I say, technology. Two-thirds of the world's 796 million people who are illiterate are women. But key data from 68 countries shows that educating women is a key factor in determining a child's survival. Of the 21 million people trapped in modern-day slavery, 56% of them are women. And whenever Jesus told a story, he challenged the powerful and the entitled. He stood with the oppressed and the marginalized. And then he called us to solidarity with those at the bottom of the pile. See, I believe that where we see injustice and a lack of inclusion of women, that we are called to see Teshleem, image bearer, equal. These are not subordinate people who play a role which is simply to please or help a man. Jesus calls us to stand in solidarity with those women. So what's the link between this man and Jesus? Dare I throw this out there. Feminism, defined as the advocacy of women's rights on the grounds of equality of the sexes. Justin has been quite clear. (laughs) He's a feminist. I want to suggest to you this, that Jesus was a feminist too. Why? 
because it's about the advocacy of women's rights on the grounds of equality of the sexes. And in Genesis chapter 1, there's this verse that says, we are made in God's image. We are made in God's image. So back to my story. I just always felt it was my job to just stand up and be me. Just be me. To look in the mirror and know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, even if some days I don't feel like it. To stand up. I don't know if you're going to do this, but if you're a woman, would you stand up for a minute? I want to say this to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you show us more of what God is like. Men, would you stand up? Stay up, stay standing. Look around. Look around. We, we are the image bearers of God. And we are all just walking each other home. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are both male and female. Thank you that you transcend all of our um, hoops and hurdles that we put in place. God, thank you that you reach us as we are. You look upon each of us and announce that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God, I thank you that together, together, we are called to be the people who will lead others towards your kingdom come. God, help us to run with the questions that you've given us. Help us not to feel too reluctant to engage with the discomfort that that brings. And stir us, God, to be people who are run through with inclusion. Give us eyes, God, to see your image bearers right in front of us. Equal and fearfully and wonderfully made. In Jesus' name, amen.